Good morning, everybody. I'm happy to see so many people out here this morning, some new faces out here this morning. If you're a visitor or you've only been here once or twice, we want to welcome you to Morning Hour Chapel. Uh, this, like every day, is the day that the Lord has made, and we rejoice that you are here with us, that you uh, answered God's call to uh, come here and uh, be with us this morning. And just want to say that we were made to rejoice we are made to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength every single day. And uh, we definitely are not uh, looking at uh, just praising him on Sunday. We look at praising him every day. <clears throat> I have a question for you this morning. How many of you have ever undergone the process of building a house? Anybody ever build a house, like not, not buying a house, building a house? A couple of people. Um, Wendy and I have never had a house built. Uh, we, but we thought about it one time. And we actually went through some of the process of uh, getting a house built through a builder, through one of the, the you know, developments and things like that, um, when we were planning to move to Pennsylvania from Baltimore. So we found this development and we decided, yeah, we, we, we want to build. We want everything to be the way that we want it to be. So we made the appointment and we went to meet with the salesperson because it's the salesperson, not the, the builders that are actually there. And they sat us down and they went through this extremely detailed list of everything that we could possibly have in the house. I don't remember how long the list was. It had to have been 30 pages long. Just, and, and you would just start going down and start checking off everything, right? And of course, you know, every item that she covered meant that we were going to pay more for the house. See, so you see those signs, right, uh, on the side of, of the road. This is a newer sign. Um, in the housing developments, a lot of times you'll see these signs from the whatever. We, when we were buying uh, many, many years ago, it was from the 200s, right? Um, that's before the, the, the rocketing kind of costs for houses and everything. But from the 200s, and it says, from the low 200s, and we passed by this sign, and we're like, ooh, the low 200s, we can afford the low 200s. And what the sign doesn't tell you, though, is that from the low 200s means from. That means you get some sticks and some concrete and, you know, some basic things in your house. You know, the woman told us that we would start at $216,000. And then everything else that we changed added to the cost. And I, 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 I remember the word that she would use. And she would say something like, so this is what you're gonna get in your kitchen. But, and every time I heard the word, but, what I heard in my head was, cha-ching! <laughs> this is what you'll get in your kitchen, but, cha-ching! You're going to get, uh, you're going to want maybe upgraded, uh, whatever, cabinets or, uh, you know, refrigerators, things like that. These are the windows that you're going to get with your house, but, cha-ching! 
What you really want are these low E, all this fancy stuff that's going to add some more to the house. Your house is going to be painted in this beige eggshell color. But, cha-ching, if you want better paint, if you want a different color, you're going to have to pay more. Oh, and by the way, your basement is just a basement. It's not finished. But, cha-ching, if you want to finish your basement, it's going to cost you this. If you want a deck, it's going to cost you this. And the cha-chings and the cha-chings came up, and it was like 40 times when things would come up that would add to the cost. And that $216,000 house, when we got finished choosing, and we didn't choose a lot, we choose maybe, you know, just upgrades of like the appliances and the windows because, you know, we want to have it, um, you know, energy efficient and everything. Our $216,000 house was going to cost us over $300,000 to build. What's that? Oh, no, 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 we're getting there. I love it when Wendy preaches from the, from the pews. It's great. <laughs> But we figured, okay, 300000 we both had pretty good jobs, right? We, were, we, we thought, yeah, we can, we can handle it. We can handle a uh, $300,000 house. So we wrote a check for $5,000. This was, this was kind of like, it's, it's called earnest money. It's kind of like a down payment on your down payment. So you say, yes, we want to sign the contract, and it costs you $5,000 to sign the contract. And, of course, you get that back, you know, when it goes into the cost of the house. But we reserved this lot, and it was, I think, either the one or two lots left on this development. And we drove home. And a few days later, Wendy, so excited to show her mom where we were going to live, because it was, it was a nice neighborhood, it was a nice development. She and her mom, she took off work, drove her mom up, they had lunch, and then they went to see the lot that they were going to be building this $300,000 house on. And when I came home, and I walked in the door, I came home from work, and Wendy had, you know, been on this drive with her mom, and I walked in, and I said hi to Wendy, and almost immediately, she burst into tears. And I'm not even kidding. Am I lying? You, she burst into tears, and for a couple of minutes, she couldn't even talk to me. And you know, you know that kind of crying. That, <laughs> right? I cry like that a lot, so I know what is going on. Usually, it's when I burn the, you know, the bacon or something. <laughs> she's crying, and she's crying, and I can't, and I, and I don't understand what's going on. Her mom's sitting there in the kitchen with us, and she's just looking like, <laughs> finally she calms down a little bit and she says I don't want to build the house and I was like okay tell what 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 happened tell me what happened they had driven up and they had looked at the site that the house was going to be built on and we realized that basically we would literally have 10 feet between neighbors on either side of our house that was it 10 feet and the, the, the thing also backed up to the woods. We would only have about 10 feet between the back of our house and the woods. And they had to, yes, yes. See, I love it when she adds the details as we go along. 
they actually told us when we went when, when or told they actually told us when we went when, when or told her when when we, they drove up she i think talked to the woman or talked to her on the phone or something they would actually have to build the house kind of like catty corner to the other houses to fit it into like literally shoehorning this house into this into this plot and wendy was crying because she thought i'd be upset she thought you know we had gone through this whole process and we've been looking for a while and we finally sat down and we wrote this check and she thought i would be upset and i just looked at her and i said we're not building the house it doesn't make sense to spend over three hundred thousand dollars plus interest to build this house if you're not going to be happy with it. And even back then, I knew that Wendy had uh, this, this gift of the Holy Spirit where she was able to see things. She was able to hear the Holy Spirit speaking through her and telling her when something was just not right. And this was just not right. She had the entire afternoon to, to kind of count the cost of this house. And she realized through the Holy Spirit that that's not where we should be. Now, we all know that things cost money, right? How many of you know that things cost money? Even teenagers know that things cost their parents money, right? They don't care, but they know. <laughs> And of course, we think about like material costs. We think about, we think about money, right? So for example, I filled up my, my gas tank the other day and I spent $63.50 to fill up a 15 gallon tank. Used to be like a couple of years ago, it was only like 40 bucks. Now it's 63.50 to fill up my tank. How many of you have been pinched at the gas? Yeah. How many of you still drive like big trucks that take like 25 gallons? Yeah, oh, yes, that's us. And then we've got farmers here too, right? And farm, you know, farm fuel and everything else. But the things don't just cost us, right? That 63.50 didn't just cost me 63.50 in gas. It cost me the opportunity to spend 63.50 on anything else. And in the business world, they call that an opportunity cost. Anytime you spend or do something, you are basically saying no to everything else. And that's kind of how we live today. We have to decide what is worth it, what is not, what are we willing to give up, what are we not willing to give up. And this is true not just of money, but of our time. If you decide, let's say, for example, uh, Josh and I love going to, to movies, especially the Marvel movies, and we'll go and we'll spend a couple of hours watching this movie. But that means I have two hours that I can't do anything else. I have said no to everything. I've said no to hanging out with Wendy. I have said no to uh, working some extra for school. I've said no to this. I've said no to everything else. Everything costs us something, whether it's material or whether it's time. 
And this morning, we're going to take a look at some costs that Jesus talked about. Jesus preached during his ministry that just as we must count the cost of building a house or spending our time in a certain way, we must consider the cost of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus talks about this. He speaks of the cost of discipleship. And we're looking this morning at Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 25. And I do have these up on the slides, but if you want to open your Bibles, you want to open your Bible apps and follow along, you can. But we start in Luke 14, verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied him. And right off the bat, I want you to start picturing these things in your mind. Great crowds were following Jesus to listen to his teaching. And when we say great crowds, we're talking thousands of people. And they're following him. And he turned to them. They were walking along. They were doing whatever they were doing. And Jesus stopped. And he turned around and he looked at them to speak to them. And when a rabbi, when a teacher would do that, everybody was like, I got to hear what he's going to say. And Jesus said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now let's just stop right there for a second. Did Jesus really tell thousands of people that they have to hate their family in order to be his disciple? I mean, how could Jesus say that? We've already heard Jesus teach about the commandments. One of the commandments is honor your father and your mother. Jesus has also talked about the two great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the other one is love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is all about the love. And we hear that today, right? Jesus is all about the love. It's all love, love, love with Jesus. And here he's telling thousands of people, if you don't hate your parents, if you don't hate your husband or your wife, you don't hate your children, you can't be my disciple. But that's not really what Jesus is saying here. What Jesus is saying is a little different. And if we take a look at a different passage where a different writer talks about this, uh, this kind of theme, this kind of idea, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, what we read is, whoever loves father or mother more than me. And there's the important part. More than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And think about the family relationships that you have. Some of us have really great family relationships. Some of us have really not so great family relationships. But think about these relationships. Many of us have. There's this, you ever hear somebody say, you know, there's always this one person in the family, right? That's different than everybody else that does things differently or whatever. But there's almost always one person in the family who likes to give us advice, 
who likes to tell us what their opinions are and why their opinions should be my opinions. Anybody have a person in the family like that? No, nobody would dare raise their hand, right? We'll just think it in my head. Oh, yeah, Bob. Yeah, he's... Uh, but these people in our families, there are those who might give us an opinion or advice that we know would be displeasing to God if we followed that advice. We know that what they're telling us is not something that we ought to be doing if we call ourselves disciples of Jesus Christ. And there's almost always that one person. Sometimes there's more. But what Jesus is saying here is that if you take mom's advice, even though you know that it will lead to sin, even though you know it is something that would not please God, you're not worthy to be my disciple. If you will take that advice over my words, you cannot be my disciple. This is what Jesus is talking about here when he says, hate your father, hate your mother. It's not hate like an emotion. It's despise anything that they would tell you that goes counter to what you know is true through Jesus Christ. So Jesus continues then in Luke 14, verse 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. You see, Jesus, he, he's got these thousands and thousands of people that are following him all the time. And several times before this, Jesus has predicted his death. Jesus has told them, I am going to Jerusalem and they are going to arrest me and they are going to beat me to a pulp and then they're going to hang me on a cross until I'm dead. I'm going to carry that cross through the streets of Jerusalem. He's been telling these people that for months, maybe even a year. And what he's saying here is, you've got to be willing to do the same. You've got to be willing for the kingdom of heaven, for God the Father, to follow me carrying your own cross. This is not a metaphor. This is not some sort of flowery language that Jesus is speaking. And we all know that we, you know, people say these things all the time. Well, this is my cross that I have to bear. And they're talking about, you know, some, something going on in their lives or something going on in their work. Jesus is actually talking about being willing to be arrested and beaten and crucified until you are dead. And that doesn't sit well with a lot of people. We must consider our lives to be totally and completely under the service of Jesus Christ if we are to be his disciple. And I spoke about this a little bit on Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday for pastors is like the Super Bowl. 
because there are people there that would never otherwise be at church. Just like the Super Bowl, there are people that don't like football. They go to the Super Bowl for like the halftime show or something like that. But there are people that come to churches all over the country, all over the world, who don't know Jesus Christ, but they'll come on Easter and they'll come on Christmas. And I spoke about this a little bit at our Easter service. I would love to be able to rejoice with people who come to faith in Jesus Christ. But I also am not going to stand here and tell you that it doesn't come with a cost. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that it's going to be easy to be a disciple of Jesus Christ because that would be a lie. I would be selling you something. And the only reason that I know that that is true, the only reason I know that I can say that is because Jesus said it first. We need to be willing to give our lives totally and completely over to the service of Jesus Christ and to the kingdom of God. And if the Holy Spirit tells us to do something, and I told you, Wendy is a, she has a strong connection with the Holy Spirit, much stronger than mine. If Wendy tells me something, if Wendy tells me that she feels like God is telling her something, I listen. Because I know she has a history, she has a past of saying these things and knowing these things. And that's exactly what happens when she tells me something. That's what happens. But we got to be willing to listen for the Holy Spirit. And if he tells us to do something, we as disciples of Jesus Christ must, must, must always be willing to do that thing. Always. That's the cost of being a disciple of Jesus Christ, is that our whole lives are lived in obedience to him. And he's told us what we should be doing. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus teaches us how we are to live if we are to be his disciples, if we are to build the kingdom of God, if we are to love our neighbor as ourselves, He has told us everything we need to know. Jesus tells us we got to count the cost. He says in verses 28 to 30, for which of you desiring to build a tower or a house does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Jesus tells us the consequences of not counting the cost of being a disciple. How many of you have heard of people who have called themselves Christian, who have been involved in Christian ministry, pastors and worship leaders and teachers who have fallen away from Christ? They have fallen away, sometimes because of sin, sometimes because they allow popularity or the protection of their uh, 
I don't know, reputation maybe, to overshadow what Christ has told them they ought to be doing. And when these things happen, especially when they happen in the big well-known churches, right? We hear all the time about this, the big mega church pastor here in California has fallen away. They've decided they're no longer a Christian or they've been sinning and they've been fired. And you hear about it, you read about it in the newspaper, you hear about it on the news if you watch the news. And what's the reaction of the world? Those Christians are just like everybody else. They like to judge people, but they're doing the same things that they judge us for. That's the reaction that we see. They did not sit down and count the cost before they laid the foundation of what they were telling everybody was their Christian life. And now it's all come tumbling down. And they get mocked for it. And that's what Jesus said would happen. These things allow non-Christians to confirm what they had already suspected. That Christianity is a crock and that Christians are nothing but hypocritical jerks. And that's what they say. Now we might think that it's unfair to be judged with a single person or a few people that fall away or that have whatever issues they're having and they get written about. If that happened here at Morning Hour Chapel, nothing would ever be written about it. Nobody knows who we are, right? We're not big enough for it to make national news unless it was something just completely egregious. But these people, they look at Christians and they look at all Christians, and they judge based on the few. And if we're honest with each other, we do the same thing as Christians. We look at other people and judge them based on the actions of a few. Or we look at them and we judge them before we know the whole story. Take a look at this woman. If you can't see, this woman has tattoos on her face, on her arms. If you could see her whole body, she has tattoos over almost all of her body. What is your gut reaction when you see someone like this? Some of us have very different reactions. A lot of them are not good. This is Julia Ganussi. She was born in Flint, Michigan in 1955. She died in 2016. Uh, up until recently, she held the Guinness World Record for most tattooed woman in the world. They called her the Illustrated Woman. She had tattoos over 95% of her entire body. 95% was covered in tattoos. And I'm sad to say I hear some of the reactions and see some of the reactions on, on some faces this morning. Let me tell you about Julia Ganussi. In her 30s, Julia was diagnosed with porphyria, 
or porphyria, the condition where sunlight, if it hits her body, automatically causes her skin to blister. It looks kind of like this. After the skin blisters and the person hopefully receives some treatment, they will often end up with horrifying scars all over their bodies. This is a shot of the legs, but imagine this on somebody's arms. Imagine this on somebody's face and the terrible scarring that might happen. Julia was tired of being made fun of for her scarring. She decided to start getting tattoos to cover the scars. I've read some stories and some comments about Julia. There's, a face, there's an actual Facebook page, uh, you guys might not know this. There's an actual Facebook page called I Hate Tattoos. I don't know how many people are on it. And most of the comments that I saw were too horrible to mention in a church setting. But many of these folks that believe that Julia should have just lived with the scars. Many of these people believed, God gave you those scars, you should wear them proudly. Some of them said, well, if you didn't like it, you should have just hid yourself in your house and not ever come out. Did your initial reaction go something like what some of those people might have been thinking? Mine did. When I first saw just a picture of her, because Wendy and I are big uh, Guinness World Record fans, right? We get the books, we look at the, the everything. And the first time I saw this, I was like, wow, that's disgusting. And then I read her story, and I had to ask forgiveness for my attitude. When we are disciples of Jesus Christ, we got to change our attitudes. We got to stop being the people that make snap judgments about people based on their appearances. We got to stop making snap judgments about people based on where they live, based on what race they are, based on what religion they are. based on what they claim is their sexual orientation, whatever that may be. We must stop judging. Because the Holy Spirit might want you to be involved with one or more of those people. What if the Holy Spirit asks you to go to a place like this Maybe even to live for a while in a place like this, under a bridge, in a tent, with no possessions other than what you have on your back and maybe a change of clothes. Figuring out how to feed yourself or feed your family. Or maybe someplace like this.
Would you be willing to follow the Holy Spirit into a prison? A maximum security prison and be a witness for Jesus Christ? These are some of the things that the Holy Spirit calls some of us to. And I'm not saying everybody has to do this. What I'm saying is, are you listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit when he speaks to you? Are you listening for the voice of the Holy Spirit? And will you be willing to sit down and count the cost of going to these places and then be obedient to God's will? What if you got asked to befriend somebody like Julia? Or maybe someone who looks like this. This is my nephew. His name's Frank. He passed away many years ago. Got hit by a car as he was crossing a busy street. Frank struggled all of his life with alcohol, with drugs. But I was there the day that he gave his heart to Jesus Christ. I prayed with him the day that he gave his heart to Jesus Christ. And just because he struggled with drugs and alcohol does not necessarily mean that he was not a follower of Jesus Christ. It means that he struggled. Many of us struggle with many things. What might it cost us to openly and freely associate with somebody who looks like this? I'll tell you what it might cost us. It might cost us our reputation. When we start associating with these people, other people, Christians and non-Christians alike, are going to look at us and they are going to wonder, well, they must be doing drugs and alcohol too because they're associating with those people. Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners, and they were called that by the religious leaders. They were called that by what we now call the church. They went up to Jesus, point blank asked him, why do you eat? with tax collectors and sinners. But Jesus always seemed to wonder why they didn't. Jesus once told these folks, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Why are we so afraid of hanging out with sinners? Are we afraid we'll catch whatever they have? Is our faith not that strong? Or do they need us? Do they need us because the, we're the only church they'll ever experience? Do they need us because we're the only Bible they will ever read? We are the Bible to some people. And they look at how we live. And that's how they determine whether or not they think Jesus is worth it. 
as a disciple of Jesus Christ, if you are sitting here today and you call Jesus your Lord and Savior, stop worrying about your reputation. Stop worrying about what people are going to say to you or post about you on social media. <gasps> I should be doing and saying all of the things that Jesus told me to do and say all the time, every day. Because while I am on earth, I am Jesus' representative to preach the gospel that he shared, which is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is my job to say God wants better for you than what you're doing by yourself. And those people should see a difference in us. Who cares if they're saying Christians are all hypocrites, Christians uh, are all judgmental. That shouldn't be me. I can't speak for all Christians. I can only speak for myself. And if my life is not showing the gospel to people, then they're right. I am a hypocrite. And I am judgmental. Jesus finishes in Luke chapter 14, anyone who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus needs to come before family, before friends, before riches, before reputation, before our self. Our purpose as disciples of Jesus Christ is to live the gospel. To be the gospel for people who are in need. Who have no one else. And our purpose as a church body is to become more kingdom-focused disciples of Christ. That is why we come to church on Sunday morning to learn how to be disciples of Jesus Christ so that when we leave after the hour and a half that we spent here, we can spend the other 167 hours of the week showing people who Jesus Christ is. That is our job as people who sit in this building on a Sunday morning. Over the next couple of weeks, we are going to look at building a disciple. What does it look like? And we're going to look at it kind of through the lens of building a house. We're going to discover what a disciple's foundation is. What do we build upon when we become disciples of Jesus Christ? And then we're going to start talking about what is our purpose. What do all of these things do? Just like in a house, well, what are these big pieces of wood do? What do these cords do? Maybe I shouldn't touch them. We're going to talk about how we are powered to be disciples of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk about what makes a useful disciple. When the house is finished, how do we use it to minister to other people? I hope you'll be able to join us over the next few weeks. But for now, would you pray with me? 
Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for sending your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, there are many of us sitting here today who have taken the first step in confessing our sins, in accepting your gift of salvation. And Father, sometimes that's where we stop instead of making that a starting point. Father, help us to learn over the next weeks the foundation of our faith, the purpose of our faith, and how we, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can help others to know you. We thank you for everyone who's here. We ask that you would bless us as we leave this building today. We ask for the strength and the courage to be the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When you encounter people this week, you may make a snap judgment about. Take another split second and don't see the person. See yourself in them because they are just as worthy of Jesus Christ as you are. See yourself in them. See Jesus in them and love them. God bless you this week.